Thank you for listening to the Bible preaching ministry of Dr. Tim Pollock at the Home Church of Lodi, California. You can get more information about our church and about starting a relationship with Jesus Christ at www.thehomechurch.net. Our prayer is that this message from God's Word will renew your heart and mind today. Good morning, brothers and sisters, and welcome to First Day. What a wonderful season it has been, as we've already heard. All these precious young people from kindergarten all the way through 12th grade launching into the next season and chapter of their life. And what a special privilege it is as a church to have a Christian school, Christ-honoring teachers who teach the Bible, our school, Life Training Academy. You know, it's interesting, our school and our church name says it all. We're training for life, and this is your new home. This is your home church. What a blessing to be able to help these precious young people become champions for Christ. You moms and dads and grandparents and aunts and uncles and others, guardians, who are helping raise these children in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord, I want you to know we support you, we love you, and whether they're in a Christian school whether they're in a private school, homeschooled, or public school, whatever the case, we want you to know we're behind you, and we hope and pray that God will just bless you in this great endeavor. All right, we are in the Commandments of Christ. The Commands of Christ is our current series. Today, four commandments for standers. Four commandments for those who stand the Lord. Now, what does it mean to stand for the Lord? What does it mean to be a stander for God? It means we will not ever bow down or give in or be persuaded to do anything contrary to the Word of God. It means to stand squarely and without apology on the B-I-B-L-E, the Bible. A faithful pastor saw his two-year-old daughter carrying, well, basically dragging his large Bible by the case's handle across their carpeted front room floor. She pulled it over in front of a tall table and then plopped it there on the ground. Deb was about ready to take it away when he sensed the Lord saying, You need to stop for a moment because I want to teach you something here. Stopped. She then stood on top of the Bible, reached up onto the table where she was at, the tall table, to get what she was wanting. At that moment, he said he felt like the Lord told him, If you will teach her to always stand on the Word, she will reach heights in life that she could never reach any other way. My friend, that is a good illustration. Because, friends, we need to have our feet squarely planted on the Word of God. I ask you this morning, are your feet squarely on the B-I-B-L-E today? Are you willing and ready to stand for Christ and stand alone if need be? I have a question to ask you. What were you thinking about this morning when you were getting ready to come to the services today? What were you thinking about? Well, do you realize in all actuality, your presence in church today is more than merely attendance? Did you know that it's actually a statement? I'm not sure if you realize the full impact of that choice. But you are making a huge statement to the world, to the devil, and to the Lord himself. To the world, you were saying, I don't believe your false ways, your lies that you talk about, the way to happiness, to lay in bed, to have my champagne brunch on Sunday morning with my friends, to have Sunday fun day at the park. I I don't believe that. To the devil, you are basically declared war. You have called him, like Jesus called him, a liar. You 
are not accepting his accusations about all the things he is constantly saying about church, about God, about the Bible, about Jesus, and to the Lord. When you got up and you took all the effort to come here today, and even though, I mean, it's a privilege and it's a blessing, we get so blessed, but still, it is quite a thing to get up, especially if you have a big bunch of kids, get them all ready and come to church. Do you realize what you were telling the Lord? You were telling Him, despite what anybody else says, I love you, and I accept you, and I believe what you say, and I am ready to serve you. That's Those are big statements. Your very presence in church means that already today you have made a huge stand. Even those, I would say, who are joining us online. I know it's not easy. You could do a lot of other things, but thank God you are taking that time to watch. And let me reassure you that any time you make a decision like you made this morning, that is not a static decision. That is, that's not going to go untouched. I promise you, somewhere around the line, you're going to have to pay for that price. It has huge implications. Whether or not you realize it, you picked the side this morning. And so, you just bought yourself a big, fat enemy. The devil now has got his eye on you. His mark is on you. I say all that to encourage you today. (laughs) Leave it to a Bible-believing Baptist preacher to spoil my day. Do you remember the Old Testament story of Daniel? Who doesn't remember that story? I mean, it is an amazing story both of Daniel and his three companions, those amazing young men who made such a bold stand for God. They made such a stand for God that 25 centuries later, we are still talking about them. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the three standers. You may remember they were living under a rule of a self-absorbed pagan heathen king by the name of Nebuchadnezzar. They were required one day by decree that on a certain day when the music started, they must kneel. You're going to kneel. You are going to kneel before a 90-foot gold form of the, I almost said president, of the, of the leader of Babylon. <laughs> Anyone refusing is going to be severely dealt with. Babylon. Babylon was the largest city in the world at that time. Small, comparatively, by today's metric. Population about 200,000, they estimate. That was gigantic five centuries before Christ. It was a huge governmental center, a large educational medical places, extensive commerce. The Babylonian culture was everywhere. I mean, it was the in thing. Nobody dared resist Babylon, and certainly not the king. On this particular day, the festivities were huge. They were all there to witness this spectacular golden idol. When the music began and the herald announced all that must kneel, everybody just gave in. They just knelt. That's what you do when you're in Babylon. You kneel to them. You bow to what they say. That is but three brave Hebrew young men. They said, no, we're not going to do that. They just kept standing. Now, why did they do that? Because they knew to kneel to that heathen idol would be to insult their God. No threats from the king could dissuade them. No bullying from their peers could intimidate them. And no mocking from the culture could move them. Remarkable in their faith for God. They stood together. They prayed together. And they said, we stand together. If we die, we go down together. So the king said, all right. You bought it. And he was so incensed that these young men would dare to defy him. He said, heat that furnace up hotter than it's ever been. I'll show them. So they threw them in that furnace. In fact, it was so hot that the men who threw them in died. 
King Nebuchadnezzar watched, hoping that he could gloat that he put these God followers to death and showed who was boss. But to his amazement, when he looked more closely into the inferno, he said to one of his advisors, Wait, didn't we throw three men into the fire? Why is there four in there? And then the puzzled king, God just gave him this revelation. He said, I see a fourth. And it is that like the Son of God. It's been said these young men didn't bow. They didn't bend. And bless God, by His grace, they didn't burn either. And that's what happens when you stand for God. God takes care of you. A stander. Are you a stander? Will you bow down or will you say, No, I will not be persuaded to do anything contrary to the God's written word. I must say that we are quickly moving away from a biblical worldview in America. We have a modern day world that resembles ancient Babylon. Now it's true, praise the Lord, there are many who love our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Thank God for that. And it's also true there are many who still accept the Bible as God's inerrant Word, our only rule for life, and that Jesus Christ is the only Savior of mankind. There are still many, millions in America and around the world who believe that, thank God. But those who do cultural surveys like Barna Institute, like Pew Research, like Gallup Polls, and others have said there is actually something alarming happening. It's really a paradigm shift, not just a just a, a poll number. It's just a paradigm shift in our world. In July 2022, Gallup poll said there's been a massive increase, which amounts to a seismic shift to those who believe that the Bible is the literal Word of God. In their estimation, according to that report, just 20% now believe that the Bible is the literal Word of God. Meanwhile, there's a new record high among Americans, the people who believe the Bible is just a collection of fables and legends and just moral precepts recorded by man. The senior scientist at Gallup, his name is Frank Newport, he said, actually, these numbers that we got back in July of 22, he said they are stunning because for the first time, more Americans are viewing the Bible as not inspired. The overwhelming mindset is, you must do what we say. You must bow down before our golden idol. You will not follow the Bible. It is not even true. It's just fables. Conservative, Bible-believing, Jesus-honoring people are being told that they have to now not just have tolerance, but they need to have acceptance of anything and everything. In fact, they are now gone beyond acceptance. We need to approve it. In fact, they are forming laws demanding that we actually advocate for open immorality. And they are asking us to bow before an evil king's blasphemous statue. Now, brothers and sisters, what are we going to do? Are we going to wring our hands and just give up in despair and sit and stew and just be angry? Or are we going to give a credible response to these who challenge the cross of our Lord and the authority of the Word of God? Well, in this message, God gives us four commandments for standers. How to raise our flag of faith, God's way. And that's what we're looking at today. I love this story I'm going to tell you. I've told you it before, but please oblige me. A certain man in the neighborhood observed a little girl. She was walking by his house, coming home from church one Sunday. In her hands was a Sunday school paper with the picture of Jonah and the whale. He called out to the little girl as she was walking by. He said, hey, tell me something. Do you believe that story, Jonah and the whale? The little girl said, yes, I believe it. He said, so, you really believe that a grown man was swallowed by a big whale he stayed inside of him for all that time, and he came out perfectly okay. She said, yep, yeah, it's in the Bible. They told about it in Sunday school today. I believe it. And the man asked, well, can you prove to me this story is true? She thought about it for a moment, and she said, well, when I get to heaven, I'll ask Jonah 
The man asked, well, what if Jonah is not in heaven? She put her hands on her hips and she looked at him and said, then you can ask him. (laughs) Now the fact is, I do believe the story of Jonah and the whale and every other story in Scripture. And I stand on that. Do you? Are you a stander? You need to know these four commandments. Would you join me as we look into the Word? Father, this morning I thank you for this. How my heart has been thrilled and both uh, grieved and both encouraged all at the same time. Lord, I thank you for your great Word. We are full of hope today because of your Word and what you've done for us. Please, Lord, gather our minds and our thoughts this morning for the next 30 plus minutes. And Lord, uh, there's nothing better that anybody could do than just stop for a moment and listen and let you speak to them. In Jesus' name, amen. We are in the Commands of Christ series. Most people know that there are hundreds of Old Testament commands. Of course, we know the big Ten Commands. These statutes, the Old Testament ones, when interpreted correctly and applied wisely, provide a gold standard for living. What many people don't realize, however, is that there are many other commands in the Bible. In fact, in the New Testament, there are over 900 commands. And we are calling these New Testament commands the commands of Christ. Not that Jesus spoke them all, but that in the New Testament, Jesus is front and center. Now, we've gone over several commands. Uh, Recently, we've been going over the B command, B-E, as in the Beatitudes, attitudes that ought to be in our life, things that God wants us to do our part in making happen, make it be, as it were, in our life. Now, we're going to move into some be-not commands. God says, I want you to be careful. Don't do this. In New York Harbor, Lady Liberty has been standing for over 125 years. In one hand, she holds the torch of freedom. And in the other, the tablet of the law. Have you ever noticed that? The torch challenges the the forces of darkness and the forces of godless tyranny. The tablet of the law reminds us that when a nation degenerates from right and wrong into license, it is just another form of slavery. The message of the New Testament, these 900 commands, is just that. They are statutes of liberty. They are great reminders of the life that is free because we're following God's ways. So this morning, we're going to look at four ways to be a freedom fighter for God. Number one, don't be frightened by death. Never be frightened by death. That sounds maybe easier said than done. That's found in Luke chapter 12, verse number 4. Our Lord Jesus started His public earthly ministry, as you know, as an obscure rabbi. A teacher. Not a one from Judaism, but a real kind. He quickly gained a name for Himself as one who spoke wisely and boldly, a refreshing change from the teachers of the day. He was godly in his ministry. His popularity grew. People were calling in and checking him out and making sure that they this who who he was. And many people were getting on board. Some, however, remained nominal. But in a few short months, by Luke chapter 12. His popularity had gone up and now is already beginning to wane. Opposition to his message was growing. People were finding out that when you go all in with God, it's not all peaches and cream. Jesus, being the godly man that he was, kind and loving man, he said, I'm going to give my followers some heads up here. I'm going to help them to know what they'll be looking at if they continue with me. He could see things heating up. He could see that the message of the gospel was threatening. How crazy. But it was threatening these religious people. It was also threatening the government. So 
He said, this is not going to end well, I will tell you. Now, it's going to end eternally well, but it's going to be some tough days. And so he warned them, and that's where we come to this verse. Let's look at it. Let's read it together, would you? Ready, begin. And I say unto you, my friends, be not afraid of them that kill the body, and after that have no more they can do. Notice that little phrase, be not. There's that phrase again. Be not. These are the four be nots of being a stander for God. Quickly, let's set the stage here. If you want to go back a couple of verses to verse number 1 of chapter 12. The whole issue here is what he calls the leaven of the Pharisees. What is leaven? Leaven, as we know, is yeast. It's something that when placed in the dough, even in small amounts, it causes the bread to rise. Jesus uses it as a metaphor, and he says, even a little bit of error, a little bit of corruption can cause a huge reaction. It causes people's brains and their spirits and their pride to puff up and explode with false thinking. He said, specifically, be aware of the leaven, the sin, the corruption of the Pharisees. Now, the Pharisees, leaven was the corrupting influence of externalism, mere outward observance without a real inward heart, nominalism. Then there were, there were three main groups, the Pharisees. Then there were the Sadducees, another group. Religious, but they were liberals. They denied anything supernatural. To them, everything was about education, about science. It was the leaven of false science and fake science. And then there was the leaven of the Herodians, those who pushed secularism, rejected God. These are the ones who really had a strong political agenda. Jesus really was telling them to be aware of all of them, and it calls out the Pharisees. So in verse number 4, the disciples are warned. He said, now, you need, to, you need to mark this down. You need to kind of get this settled. You cannot be afraid of what people think, and you cannot be afraid of people and fear God at the same time. Notice how he begins verse 4, and I say, and I say, what an interesting phrase. He kind of he breaks up what he's been saying. This is, in the Greek language, the emphatic voice. What he was saying is, you need to listen up. Don't let just go in one ear and out the other. You need to really listen. Some believers I've met, I'll tell you, they remind me of the two men that were talking over coffee one day. One said, I'm concerned about my wife. She talks a lot to herself these days. The other said, mine does too. But she doesn't know it because she thinks I'm listening. (laughs) But you know, friends, God does know who's listening. He does. He knows who's listening. Notice what he says, I say unto you. So are you listening? He said, listen, are you listening to me? I say unto you, my friends. Wow. What an awesome thing to say. Now, to be a follower of Christ, that's that's a privilege. But to be called by Christ, his friend? A friend of Christ? It reminds me of what it says in John chapter 15, verse number 14. Jesus qualified what that really means. He said, you are my friends if you do whatsoever I command you. The commandments of Christ, when followed, put us in a unique zone called friends of Christ. The coming king of kings is my friend. Amazing. What he was saying here is if you are going to be a friend of mine, if you're going to stay loyal to the Father, you must kind of get into your mind a new way of thinking, not just a mere adherence to the rules, but an acknowledgement of a dynamic relationship here. It is not just about following rules. We have a personal relationship, and I want you to stay loyal here because this is important. Most humans do need a different perspective about the true meaning of life, and Jesus is here doing a reset for us. He said, and listen closely, strangely enough, he said, if you're really going to live, if you're going to live your best life, you basically have to embrace death. That's the strange thing about living for God. Look what he says. He said, do not be afraid. Just don't be afraid of those who kill the body. 
But after that, they have no more that they can do. What an interesting perspective. Strange. The worst they can do, he said, is kill you. Oh, well, I really thought they might be able to really do something. I'm glad to know that they can only kill me. What a strange thinking. But Jesus is saying, look, you need to think different. You can't be, if, you, if your life was all wrapped up in your car, in your house, in your job, in the things of this world, if that's what you're all about, then he said, you're going to really get afraid of when things happen. But if you've given that all up, if you said, you know what, I'm ready to die, then life takes on a whole new perspective. If you focus on what people will do to you, losing your job, losing your friends, whatever, then you will not have that kind of life God wants you to have. Even in death or living, you will likely deny Christ. He said, so you need to just come to a point in your life where you say, all right, Lord, I'm ready, if need be, to die. Maybe that's what Paul meant in 1 Corinthians 13 and verse number 3 when he was talking about true love, when he said, you know, it's possible that you may have to offer your body to be burned. You might. You might have to do that. Amazing liberty comes when we reconcile ourselves to death. Because the fear of death is a huge bondage. A huge bondage. I was talking with a dear saint the other day, and they were facing some very serious health issues. And I heart went out to them, as they do. I, my heart really aches for people who have hurts like that. And I, my heart uh, reached out to them, and they said, Oh, I'm ready to die, Pastor. I'm, I'm back. I, I look forward to it, but I, I do want to do the right thing. Look what it says in Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 15. And deliver them who through the fear of death were all their lifetimes subject to bondage. Did you know that it is a huge bondage? We talk about chemical dependency. We talk about codependency and all kinds of other dependencies. You know what the worst dependency is? The fear of death. To be so bondage that I'm going to die, someone's going to die, this is going to die. Look, folks, we need to be delivered from that feeling. I mean, no one wants to just jump out in front of a truck here this morning. I don't. But the fact of the matter is, the worst that anybody can do to us, death, is actually the best thing for the believer in the sense that it takes us to our Savior. That's why Paul said in Philippians chapter 1, verse 21, Really, to die, he said, would be to gain. That would be gain in life. Reconcile yourself to the fact of death. When Polycarp, one of the first century's greatest leaders, a disciple of the Apostle John, he was promised that he, if he would renounce Christ, would be set free. Polycarp, who was burned at the stake, He said, 86 years have I served Christ, and He has never done me wrong. How can I blaspheme my King and my Savior? The proconsul came to him and said, We will throw you to the wild beasts. And he said, To do so would be to release me from this life of misery. And then the leader said, Well, we will burn you alive. Here's what Polycarp said, and you've heard the words. I fear not. A fire that burns for a moment. But you do not know that you face a fire which burns forever and ever. No, we need to recognize ourselves as being dead. Someone once said, defeat the fear of death, and you'll notice a death of fear. Think about that for a moment. There is a second command. First of all, don't be frightened by death. If you want to be a standard for God, number two, don't be intimidated by fear mongers. There's always somebody out there that's trying to make you afraid of everything. First Peter chapter 3 and verse number 4, the Holy Spirit gave Peter some wonderful advice. Not only good advice to first century believers scattered around the Mediterranean, but 21st century believers scattered in America had to handle the crush of misinformation, the fear-based Look what it says in verse 14. Talk about starting off with an interesting phrase. But and if. (laughs) There you go. But and if. 
you suffer for righteousness' sake, happy are you. Be not afraid. Use that be not again. Be not afraid of their terror. Notice what it says, their terror. That's theirs. Neither be troubled. But an if. What an interesting phrase. What he was saying is that, generally speaking, suffering isn't the expected outcome when you've done righteousness. See what the verse says? When you suffer for righteousness' sake. So let me get this right. I've done the right thing. I've been obedient. I've been a good employee. I've done all the good things. And I'm suffering. But, now it's not, it doesn't always happen. But, and if, or maybe when. It's likely to happen. But when it does, he said, you need to realize that's a privilege. I know it's not fun, but that doesn't mean it's not a privilege. Look what he says. Happy are ye. Or blessed. You are blessed if and when you actually have to suffer for doing the right thing. It's a privilege. Now, notice there is a qualifier in that statement. And notice it closely. The qualifier is for the sake of righteousness, meaning it has to be a righteous thing you've done, not being crazy or obnoxious. You know, taking a stand for the Lord is not just being obnoxious, not like some of these misinformed picketers that we've seen over the last few years, holding up their pickets, saying nasty things. No, that's not standing for something good, not at all. That is standing for something in the wrong way. We need to stand for right and for God, but do so wisely. Here's what Paul told Pastor Timothy. He said, tell the people, 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 2, tell the people that if possible, you should try to lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness. If you can, live under the radar and just be God-fearing and be honest, just work hard. Some unbalanced Christians... Some Christians who kind of get off on the edge remind me of that Peanuts cartoon I saw with Lucy. Lucy was saying to Charlie Brown, I hate everything. I hate everybody. I hate the whole wide world. Charlie Brown, typical Charlie Brown, said, but I thought you had inner peace. Lucy replied, I do have inner peace, but I still have outer obnoxiousness. And folks, we do have inner peace. Let's not let it Go to waste. Notice what it says. Happy are you. You are happy if you suffer when you've done the right thing. Now, notice what it says. Happy are you right now. That's not saying you'll be happy you did in heaven. No, it says you're actually going to find happiness now. It's a blessed state of existence right now. You know when someone asks you how you're doing? Many Christians have Realize it's good to say, I'm blessed. And it's true. Now, when I say I'm blessed, I don't say I'm especially happy or I'm uh, full of jokes that day. I'm just saying I'm blessed. I'm not trying to be some kind of super saint and get any accolades. No, I'm just simply saying I'm speaking life. I am blessed. When someone asks you how you're doing, I am blessed. And that's why Jesus said here, and that's why... He reminds us, don't be full of fear, but rather recognize your blessing. Be blessed. Knows what it says here in this verse. Be not afraid. The word afraid there is phobia. But he doesn't just use it once. He uses it twice. He said, be not a phobia of their phobia. Neither be troubled. Twice in one little sentence he said, fear of fear. And that's a pretty good paraphrase. It really means don't fear their intimidation. Don't fear their threats. These folks are fear mongers. Boy, does this world love to try to intimidate God's people. Oh, they just love to just say, well, we'll do this. We'll do this. Well, Peter here actually is quoting the Old Testament. He is quoting the major prophet Isaiah chapter 8. In Isaiah chapter 8 and verse number 12, the people shall say, a confederacy, neither fear ye their fear, nor be afraid. So it's the same phrase. Let me give you the historical context here to kind of understand what Peter was doing. Peter was talking about the king of Judah, his name Ahaz. There was an impending 
likely invasion coming from Assyria. The Assyrians were nasty people. I mean, they were some hard, they, they were facing some very serious situation there. It was not an easy situation. Well, not only were they facing the Assyrians, but their neighbors, next door neighbors, Israel, the northern tribes, and Syria were yakking about everything that was going on. And notice it says they were saying, it's a confederacy, there's a problem coming. And basically everybody was just poor mouthing. I mean, everybody was just complaining. Everybody was saying how bad it was, uh, gloom and doom. And notice what God told the prophet to tell the people. He said, don't fear their fear. What a great statement. Don't fear their fear. Why would you fear their fears? Now, the world has their fears. All this, all this, but that's not my fears. Don't, don't live there. Don't go there. You are different. You have Jesus as your Savior. Your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. You have blessings of God. Don't go there. And notice what the verse says. It says, rather fear, the next verse says, fear the Lord of hosts himself. And let him be your fear. Let him be your dread. The truth is, we live in the most fear-mongering age there's ever been. Maybe because there's such a proliferation of information. Everybody's worried about everything now. And of course, now everybody's worried about AI. Artificial intelligence. Some wise guy the other day told me that artificial intelligence, he said, that's just what you call a blonde that dyed her hair. Oh, no, that wasn't good. I'm in trouble with some of my daughters now. I know that. But, um, artificial intelligence, you'll get that. Seriously. I mean, what was God saying here? He was saying, don't be troubled. Don't worry. You're letting your own mind kill you. You're constantly thinking about all the things that might happen. Just take your stand on God's word. Know that somehow, some way, you'll get through it all. Whatever it is, you'll get through. Earlier in First Peter, there, chapter three, verse twelve. Notice what it says. How how can we not be afraid? He said, "For the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous; his ears are open to their prayers. The face of the Lord is against them that do evil. Why would you fear their fears? Why would you let fear just get inside of you? Just get rid of that. You'd say, "Well, I'm going to die." Well. Nobody wants to die, but for the believer, that's gain. That's a blessing. Now, the process is not always fun by any means. Just get yourself a big old piece of paper, get a 3 by 5 car, whatever, plaster it on your dashboard, put it everywhere. God's got this, and I'm not afraid. Don't fear their fear. Number one, don't be frightened by death. Number two, don't be intimidated by fear mongers. And number three, don't be discouraged by evil. Don't be discouraged by evil. And nothing could be a more relevant verse than this one for today. I get discouraged. Well, I tell you, I do. But God says don't. Don't get discouraged by the, all the evil that's out there. Look at verse 21. Be not overcome. It's that Greek word, Nike, or as it's pronounced in the business world today, Nike. Be not overcome. Nike. Nike, conquer. It means the word conquer, to be victorious. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome, there's the same word again, evil with good. He said, don't let all the evil in the world get the victory. Do not let the flood of evil overwhelm your victory in Christ. Don't let it get under your skin. Don't let it have so much power over you. Don't let it disturb your peace. Don't let it destroy your love. Don't Ever let it push you to attempt to do something bad. Be not, he said. Be not. Stop it. Apparently, the way that it's said, it means they've been letting it. He's saying, stop it. Stop it right now. Stop letting that stuff get under your skin. You've got the victory. Work from victory, not from a place of such anger. The clear implication was, be not overcome of evil. It is evil. It's, we're not just talking about stuff that, well, you know, it's just a difference of opinion. No, it's evil. It is evil. 
Someone the other day said, wow, there's so much division in the country. Really? Wow. Terrible. Um, I'm glad there is, actually. I'm super glad there is. Jesus said, I did not come to bring peace. I came to bring a sword. I mean, how can there be a, a meeting of minds when they are killing unborn children? You say, well, uh, you know, it's just different. No, it's not a different opinion. That is evil, friends. Be not overcome of evil. But God says, don't, as bad as it is, don't go about it the wrong way. He said, by the way, that's the same verse, same words used in Romans chapter 2 and verse 9. There are people who do evil upon every soul of every man that does evil. Yet there is a doing of evil. You say, well, what should we do as a country? Well, I think we ought to pass every law we can to try to restrain evil. Romans 12 says that's one of the responsibilities of good government is to restrain evil. But friends, that's not going to be the end of the matter. English statements, Edwin Burke said, the only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men to do nothing. But the only way to really overcome evil, strange enough, is with good. Isn't that amazing? Anybody can return good for good. I mean, even the heathen do that. And, of course, anybody can return evil for evil. That's pretty typical human behavior. But if we return just good for good, or certainly evil for evil, we only add fuel to the fire. There's only one way to overcome evil, and God says you do it with good. You do it with good. What kind of good? Let me suggest two ways this morning. Number one, good works. Good works. Jesus said, go the second mile. Anytime something is bad out there, just go the second mile. It can be as simple as a nice moment of courtesy, like opening a door for anybody, no matter how rude they are. Just, you go in first, please, like letting them have a seat. It can be something simple, but just do good works. There's all kinds of them. But you overcome evil with good works. You don't get out there and brawl in the parking lot over a parking spot. I'm talking about good works. And then number two, good words. Good words. He said overcome evil with good. Good works and then good words. You'd say, what does that mean? Well, first of all, it means words to God. That's good. Good words in prayer. Pray for people. That's why Jesus said, if they despitefully use you, pray for them. Love them. Don't, don't let them get under your skin. And then I think... We um, can give them the best words, which is the gospel. That's a good word. Now, I'm not saying enable sin. I'm not saying we should ever endorse sin. I'm not saying we shouldn't stand against sin. That's not what we're saying. But the best plan is to go to God in prayer. That's a good word. And then to give them an invitation to church or to give them the gospel. But one thing we're not going to do is let them make us hate them. The great black scientist, one of my heroes, really my mom read his life story to me when I was a child, George Washington Carver. George Washington Carver, that wonderful former slave who became a great scientist. He said, I will never let another man ruin my life by making me hate him. George Washington Carver chose to overcome evil with There are four commandments for standards. Don't be frightened by death. Don't be intimidated by fear mongers. Don't be discouraged by evil. And now the final one. And honestly, this maybe is the most dangerous thing we face because of its subtleness. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 11 and verse 3, I fear, lest by any means as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, you're going to be deceived. And so... And that's number four, our fourth point this morning, and that is don't be compromised by culture. Do not be compromised by culture. I want you to hear the Pauline caution here. Look at verse 23. You are bought with a price. Be not ye the servants of men. Be not. Freedom. Freedom might just be the most valuable thing that we possess today. 
to be able to do what you want to do with your time, to be able to go where you want to go with your person or your family, to be able to spend your money on what you choose. Freedom indeed is a precious gift, but it is not free. One American writer said, we hold in our hands the most precious gift of all, freedoms. The freedom to express, the freedom to love, the freedom to be who we want to be. And we are not going to give that freedom away, and no one shall take it from us. And yet many of the precious saints in Paul's times were just that, slaves. How do we reconcile this verse? What was That really sets the verse. That is the context of the verse. Paul said, I know you have a master. I know you're obligated to do what they require you to do. I know this Roman government is terrible. But I promise you, he said, you are still God's free men. Folks, we live in a country where we are watching the deterioration of our own precious freedoms. And I do not know what the future holds with the ugly monster of governmental overreach as it constantly threatens. But the thrilling thing is this, that once you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are always free. Always free. Look what the verse before it says, verse 22. For he that is called in the Lord, even if you're a slave, being a servant, is the Lord's free man. Likewise, he that is called being free is Christ's servant. You have been freed by Jesus. We sang it a few moments ago. I am free. Not free from the law. Not free from righteousness. I am free from this old culture. I am free from the sin that so often enslaves us. I might be a slave. I may be in a country where I don't have those kind of freedoms. But I tell you, my real freedom was bought and paid for with the precious coins of Christ's blood. And that being the case, I will never allow myself to be dictated to by false religion. I will never allow myself to swallow the mandates of this culture. I'm not going to do it. Jesus said, you're going to have to pick. Nobody can serve two masters. It's not possible. No, he said it's impossible. At some point, you have to say, God is my leader. The Bible is what I stand on. Are you a stander? I've chosen mine, have you? We must never become so into the corrupt culture that we are afraid to displease them. It means at school, it means at work, it means at community, it means wherever we are. We'll risk saying something, even when our knees are shaking, we will stop, we will follow God's voice. It means I will do what God wants me to do. It means standing on the unshakable inerrancy of Scripture. I believe the Bible. You say, do you understand it all? No, of course not. I'd be as smart as God, but I believe it, and I stand on it, and I'm willing to study it to validate it. The fact of the matter is, we need to stand. And we need to stand not only for our own sake, but for others around us. After the Civil War, there was a steamer. It was the most beautiful of all ships on the Mississippi River. The R.E. Lee. It would go from Vicksburg down to New Orleans. It would leave every Wednesday. It was the jewel of the river. But on one fateful voyage in the middle of the night, while everyone was sleeping, a fire broke out. The captain quickly said to the first mate, Wake the passengers. Tell them to get up. We need to run to our lifeboats. Flee for our lives. The first mate ran through the corridors, knocking, Wake up! Wake up! The ship was on fire. Get up. The ship's on fire. And you know what happened? That's the story. You can read about it. A strange thing happened. Some almost not unlike the Titanic. Some laughed. Others thought it was a practical joke. Some were saying, ah, oh, they're the drunk out in the hallway yelling. Others just took their time, thinking maybe it was just another false alarm. But there were some who believed. There were those who got their possessions and went through the... They went to the lifeboats before it was too late. Today, this morning, we've had a good time. We've learned some lessons, I believe. We've laughed a little. 
But I will say, I did not come here just to teach a lesson. Listen to me. I came to tell you this morning that America is on fire. I came to say the ship is burning. That our family and our friends and our faith are in the crosshairs of the evil one. And we must stand for God. We must stand for righteousness. We must stand on the B-I-B-L-E. We need standards in every community. But to be a standard, number one, you have got to be saved. You have got to be truly, absolutely, radically born again. You have got to say yes to Jesus. If I could, on your behalf, accept Christ for you, I would. I would do it. I pray. I weep every week knowing that on Sunday, there may be some of these as well on the listening via the tube, that maybe somebody does not know Christ and somehow I didn't give it my best. I didn't do it all. As I prayed this morning, I said, Lord, I'm just a man. Holy Spirit, you've got to work. I'll do my homework. I'll do it as best I can. But, oh God, you've got to save souls. But I say to each of you here this morning, Jesus loves you. And you need Him as Savior. That's the way to first make your stand. You are going to meet Jesus someday. Let me promise you that. And you will either meet Him in judgment, because He is the one who is the judge of the judgment, or you will meet Him, praise the Lord, in salvation. I'd like every head to be bowed down. We hope you enjoyed listening to the preaching and teaching from God's Word today. You can get more information about our church and about starting a relationship with Jesus Christ at www.thehomechurch.net. From all of us here at The Home Church in Lodi, California, thank you for joining us.